0: This is Daf Kafchet in Masechet Rosh Hashanah. We are on Kaf Zayin Amud Bet, six lines from the bottom of the Amud. Atokel atochabur or khadut. It's talking about somebody who blows the shofar into some kind of a chamber that creates an echo, such as a pit or a cistern. Amar Otan only those who are standing outside of the pit will not fulfill the mitzvah. but those who are inside they will fulfill the mitzvah. They did fulfill the mitzvah because they didn't hear the echo. They're inside. Only someone outside will hear that it bounce off the inside of the cistern or the pit, and they hear an echo. We learned similarly in a bright to tokev tochabol tochadut yatsa. So, because we have a Baita that says that if somebody blows the shofar into a, a pit or a cistern, they do fulfill the mitzvah, but we learned in the Mishnah that it doesn't work. We learned that the distinction of Rafuna is correct, that we distinguish between people who are standing outside the pit and people who are inside the pit. Some, rather than start with Rafuna's point, actually and bring it as a proof, bring the, uh, the uh, contradiction between the Baita and the Mishnah as a proof, there are some people who started with the contradiction itself. It's not now. Because it says in the Mishnah that if a person blows the shofar into a pit or a cistern, they don't fulfill the mitzvah, but in a bright that says you do fulfill the mitzvah, that one of them is talking about people who are on the edge of the uh, pit, so therefore what they hear is the echo, since a person is blowing the shofar into the pit, and those who are in the pit, however, hear it without an echo, they fulfill the mitzvah. It says in our gemarot, uh, the correction on the bottom says it should say rava. According to the Rosh, it should say rava with an aleph. Shama miktat A person heard part of the Tikiah inside the pit, but part of it outside the pit. He fulfills the mitzvah miktat kodem lo yata. However, if you heard the first part of the blowing of the shofar. He heard prior to the uh, dawn. In other words, it was still nighttime, and then only part of it he heard after dawn, where you could fulfill the mitzvah. The mitzvah applies only during the daytime. He doesn't fulfill the mitzvah. So, What's the difference? It's really the same thing, because the person who heard half of it when they were on the edge of the, you know, outside the pit, and half of it inside the pit, only the latter half, fulfilled the mitzvah and yet they fulfilled it. So too, we should say that a person who heard the first part of the tzikiyah before the mitzvah started, which was uh, before the uh, dawn and the second half, they heard after dawn, they should also say that they fulfilled the mitzvah. So the Gemara says, can you compare the Can you compare the two? During the nighttime, in other words, before Amod HaShachar, before the dawn. That's not daytime at all. There's no mitzvah at all. But you can't say that the tikiah where you heard half of it outside the pit and half of it inside the pit that there was something wrong with the tikiyah because somebody was inside the pit the whole time would have fulfilled the mitzvah. There's nothing lacking in the mitzvah. All that's lacking is in your position. So you can fulfill the mitzvah with the latter half. But when there's something lacking in the tikiah itself that it began, when there was no mitzvah, that will not be a good count. The Memorah, the Sava Raba, or we had Rava, but here it says Raba, Shamat What that sounds like is that if you heard the latter half of the blowing of the shofar, the latter half of the tekiah without the beginning, you fulfill the mitzvah. And similarly, it should work the other way around, that if you heard only the beginning and not the end, you should fulfill the mitzvah. We saw this exact same discussion. Just a couple of the, just a dafago, really, uh, on Amud Aleph, the exact same discussion. That the implication is that if you hear only half a tikiya, you could fulfill the mitzvah. We learned that if you had, for example, you blow tikiyah, shvarim tua, and another tikiyah, and instead of blowing a tikiyah before the next shvarim tua, you decide to just extend that tikiyah that was after the sh- shvarim tua. In other words, you did this <coughs> tikiyah, shiv or tikiyah, shvarim tua, tikiyah. Normally, what would you do? Another tikiyah, shvarim, tua, tikiyah. You said, you know what? I'm already doing tikiyah, shvarim, tua, takiyah. I'll just extend that tikiat to be double the size and then just go right to the next shvarim, tua, without having another takiyah there. So, what, uh, if you did that, In it doesn't work. So, vamai, tisalik Why can't you say it counts as two? If you could could say that you can divide up the tekiah and fulfill the mitzvah with only half of the tekiah, when half of it wasn't good and half of it was good, so why here can't I divide them in half? The answer is, okay, tekiah tamadadad alopaz and that's a different story. You can't divide up a tekiah to make it count as two. Even if you might be able to fulfill the mitzvah with only half a tikiyah, you cannot uh, divide up a tikiyah to make it count as two. So, if a person blows the shofar into a pit or into a cistern or into a jar or a jug, if he hears the actual sound of the shofar, then he fulfills the mitzvah. But if you heard the echo, he won't fulfill the mitzvah. But why? Why can't he fulfill the mitzvah with the beginning? In other words, if he's standing and he hears the blowing of the shofar and then it bounces off and it creates an echo, if I'm allowed to split the tikiot and say that you can fulfill the mitzvah with half of the tikiyah, so why can't I say I fulfilled it with the, the sound that I heard before, the bounce of the echo? Right? So the answer is ki You're right. You, uh, clearly you can't do that. Clearly you cannot fulfill the mitzvah with only half a tikiah. That wouldn't be possible. You're right. Half a tzakiyah won't work. In order to fulfill the mitzvah with a tzakiyah, you have to hear the entire sound. Even if it's longer than the required amount, you have to hear the entire sound. But Ki We're talking about somebody who was blowing the shofar as he came out of the pit. So the meaning, he started blowing the shofar and he fulfilled the mitzvah because he heard the uh, sound in the, uh, in the pit. Um, and then, as he came out, he was the one blowing the shofar. So he heard the shofar outside the pit. So it shouldn't be a problem. So what is the novelty then? Shofar The question, the concern is that maybe if he's doing this, he's walking up, he's marching out of the pit. As he's blowing the shofar, maybe he heard the first part and it was clear, but as he was coming up, his head might have been already out of the pit while the shofar was still kind of pointing down towards the pit, and so part of the sound maybe he heard as an echo. The answer is we don't worry about that, he can fulfill the mitzvah in that way. But the conclusion actually is that you have to hear the, entire, the entirety of a sound in order to fulfill the mitzvah. A person should not blow the shofar of an ola. Let's <laughs> say you have a qurban and somebody removed. The horn of the korban olah and wanted to use it as a shofar. You shouldn't use v'im takayata, but if you did, you'll fulfill the mitzvah. However, if you took the horn off of a shlamim, a korban shlamim, then you would not fulfill the mitzvah if you used it. So neither of them should you use. But if you use the olah, you fulfill the mitzvah at least. If you use the shlamim, you don't. Since in korban ola ironically, even though the korban ola is more strict, it's more holy. Um, it all, that also implies or entails that its Kiddushah and the prohibition of benefiting from it exist earlier in the process they exist from the moment that it's sanctified and therefore there's a rule of meilah that if you are if you are mo'el if you commit meilah that you uh, that you misappropriate something, it renders the thing chulin. So you took something off of the Korban olah That was an Isur of me'ilah. You benefited from a Korban. You shouldn't have done that. But it immediately causes the Korban to lose its status of Kiddushah because you misappropriated it. It loses its status. So now you, of course, have to replace it and you have to also bring a Korban me'ilah and make atonement for what you did. But that's a different story. The point is that it becomes chulin. Ironically, the greater kedusha also means that your removing of the horn can render the animal chulin right away, and therefore the blowing of the shofar that you did was done with a mundane uh, shofar. However, shlamim milanin hu But when you when it comes to a shlamim, ironically, the kedusha of the shlamim isn't full until it's actually offered. So what did you basically do when you took the horn off of the Korban Shlamim while it was still alive, Rashi says we're talking about? What is the, what, what, what really happened there? Nothing. It didn't change status because it had monetary sanctity basically before. Its full sanctity doesn't come into existence until it's offered because when it's offered, then we divide between the part that goes to Hashem and the part that goes to the person who's able to eat it. That's when you could have mi'ilah in the parts that are going to Hashem. But the korban itself doesn't have a status of milah prior, so therefore it doesn't have a way that it can be deconsecrated prior. So there, uh, so, <laughs> so therefore when you remove that shofar, it doesn't go to the status of chulin, and you're using a part of a korban that's really designated for Hashem, you don't commit milah because it's not fully actualized in its designation. But it doesn't re- lose its designation, and therefore you did not fulfill the mitzvah by belonging with the shofar of the shlamim, ironically, even though it's of a lesser kiddushah. But the thing is Even when it comes to the olah, When does the actual Mila happen? When you use it for something Not just when you remove the horn But when you use it But at the moment that you're blowing the Shofar Even of the olah, It didn't become deconsecrated yet Because you haven't used it yet Until you actually blow it And that's when it loses its Kiddushah So the problem is that at the moment you're blowing, it still has the Kiddushah. It's only when you finish it that it loses the Kiddushah. So he said, you, you know what? The truth is that in both cases, you don't fulfill the mitzvah. Because why? Because even with the Korban olah, where it has a full status of Kiddushah, and therefore when you misuse it, it loses its status of Kiddushah, that losing of status only happens after the use. So therefore, you wouldn't be able... The blowing of the shofar that you did was invalid in both cases. But Hadar Amar, Chadzei Mitzvot, but in the end Rava retracted again and said actually no the opposite that they're both You in both cases you fulfill the mitzvah bediyavad. really how did he go from one extreme to another it went from the extreme of saying that in neither case to saying in both cases why because mitzvot there's a discussion in the Gemara elsewhere whether mitzvot are uh, made for us to uh, uh, benefit or not in other words to, is the benefit that one gains from a mitzvah is that considered to be a, uh, a, a personal benefit um, of, of a sort? And the answer is, and it's discussed in many sugyot and there's a few places where, where it's brought up with this discussion, but the, uh, the, if you hold that it's considered a personal benefit when you do a mitzvah, So then you would say that this is a benefit that you're getting from the korban and therefore it's going to lose its kiddushah in the the case of the olah or it won't in the case of the shlamim. Either way, you're not going to get credit because you can't be credited for benefit that you took from a korban. But if you say it's not really a personal benefit, it's doing a mitzvah because you're just fulfilling God's will. So therefore, um, it's not considered a misappropriation. It won't deconsecrate the olah. It won't, uh, but it, will, it won't make you liable for me'ilah. But what it will do is it'll fulfill the mitzvah, since the mitzvah is not itself considered a benefit. Obviously, you're not supposed to do it because you're tampering with the korban. But you you will fulfill the mitzvah. If you have a shofar avodah it is a uh, something which is designated for I, that actually is uh, it was used to serve idolatry and is therefore prohibited in any benefit. And you used it for the mitzvah you're not allowed to blow it but if you did you fulfilled the mitzvah again the reason is because it's not really considered a benefit to to do a mitzvah it's not a personal benefit but if you found the shofar from a city that was a condemned city the city of idolaters that everything in it has to be destroyed there if you did use it for the shofar of of, uh, Rosh Hashanah you did not fulfill the mitzvah we've seen this also in the case of Sukkah and Lula, uh, that anything that's in the iranidachat that's been condemned and has to be burnt, it says, if it was already destroyed. So it doesn't have any measurement. It doesn't have any substance. It's like it's already gone. And since the shofar has to be large enough that you can hold it in your hand and you still see some protruding from either side, and here it's considered as if there's no substance at all, you will not fulfill the mitzvah with such a shofar. Even though a person might be might be a person who is not supposed that his friend Uh, Sworn not to receive any benefit from him He can still fulfill the mitzvah Shofar by listening to him Why? Because uh, 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 Because um, It's not considered a benefit To hear the Shofar Right? So, uh, so therefore, even though I made a net that I'm not gonna benefit from you in any way, your blowing of the shofar for me is not considered a benefit because it's not a personal benefit. on Similarly, if a person swore not to benefit from a shofar, same idea. He could even use it to blow the shofar of the mitzvah for the mitzvah because he couldn't use it for his own musical interest, but he could use it for the mitzvah because he, uh, it's not considered a personal benefit. If a person is, if someone has sworn not to benefit from a certain individual, that individual can still spray on them the ashes of the parah aduma, the water of the parah aduma, only in the wintertime, but not in the summertime. Why? Because in the wintertime it's purely for the mitzvah, it's cold out, you don't really want water being splashed on you, but during the summer where the water splashing on you will also offer a benefit and enjoyment of cooling off, then the person that you're not supposed to benefit from should not dab, Should not be throwing it on you. If a person has sworn not to benefit from a, a spring, he's still allowed to go to do a tevilah mitzvah, to immerse in it for the mitzvah, only during the winter when it's cold, but not in the summer, because in the summertime it's hot and you have a bodily benefit, from immersion. So then you're not allowed to benefit, since you're not allowed to benefit from the uh, spring, you're not allowed to do that, from the spring of water. You're not allowed to do that. They sent to, uh, to the father of Shemuel, So if a person was forced, and he ate matzah, he fulfilled the mitzah. Kifah who who forced him? If you're talking about that a demon possessed him and forced him, that's not true. Because if a person's possessed by a demon, that's another way of saying they're crazy. So if they're crazy in doing it, we have a rule that if a person is sometimes crazy and sometimes sane, at the times that they're crazy, whatever they do doesn't even count. So if they were possessed by a demon, in other words, they went crazy, they were a psychotic. So then, um, eating the matzah would not count because they were not in a state where they could fulfill the mitzvah. So what are we talking about someone forcing him? We're talking about where the Persians forced him. In other words, if Gentiles came and forced the guy to eat matzah on the night of Pesach, even though he didn't have any intent, to eat that matzah on the night of Pesach, he still fulfills the mitzvah. Amaravar Rava said, and again, some have Raba here. They switch around before it switched from Raba to Rava here. It switches from Rava to Raba. So, this shows you that if somebody blows the shofar simply for musical practice, and it happens to be that they blow a shofar blowing that fulfills the mitzvah, they will fulfill the mitzvah, uh, and that's what she says that "tokei Shir means the shoril zamer for music. He said somebody, some say it means lavrechwar a person's blowing it, Lashid, to get rid of a, uh, a, a, a bad spirit that's on him. Either way, the person is, if a, a, point is, if a person does it not for fulfilling the mitzvah, he still fulfills the mitzvah, because you see here, if somebody forces you to eat the matzah, you still fulfill the mitzvah, even though you had no intention, and the same is true if you're playing the shofar's music, and you happen to get all the right notes, you will fulfill the mitzvah. Now, Shita, that should be obvious. it's the same thing as being forced to eat matzah. It says, It's different, because when it comes to matzah, the Torah says to eat it, and the guy ate it. But here it says it has to be a remembrance of Torah, which means that what? In other words, there has to be a Kavanah involved. There has to be a, an awareness involved because it's a remembrance of Torah. means that he has to be aware and intentional in what he does. And if he doesn't do it, maybe Shofar would be different. So therefore, Kamash he's coming to tell you that not only Matzah, which is just a physical action, but even Shofar, if you were, if you did it without the proper intention, you could fulfill the mitzvah. Al ma'akasavar rava, and again, some have raba as the text, mitzvot so tzvichot kavana, that mitzvot do not require intent. we raise an objection. Now again, this sugya repeats itself several times in the Shas with the same questions and answers back and forth. It's uh, the, from the beginning of the second parak of Masechet Bachot It says that if a person was reading in the Torah and the time of the reading of the Shema, he happened to be reading the parashiot of Shema. And the time of the Shema came. It says that if only if he f- intended to fulfill the mitzvah of Kriyat Shema, does he get credit. Otherwise, he doesn't. My love, kiveni it doesn't mean that he has to have intent to fulfill the mitzvah of K'yat Shema in order to do so. And otherwise, even if he read it, he won't count. Lo... Likrot, what it means is, he had intent to read. Likrot, what do you mean he had intent to read? What does that mean? we're talking about somebody who was reading, leagia to correct. In other words, if the person is just reading, not clearly, not accurately, but he's cre- he's reading in order to correct the text, to, to, to fix the text, um, that's in front of him and correct it. And so therefore he's not reading it properly, clearly. So uh, that means, that would be a case where uh, he, he he's not reading, the act of reading is lacking. So even though it's not just the intent, but it means kiven, is the kiven can mean one of two things it can mean your intent meaning your purpose it can also mean that you're attentive to what you're doing and doing it right so they're saying what it means is that you have to be attentive to doing it right not that you have to have intention maybe you don't have to have intention for mitzvot if a person is right next to the synagogue is passing by or his house is right next to him and he hears the blowing of the shofar from inside the synagogue or he hears the megillah from the outside from the synagogue it says if he had intention he fulfills the mitzvah and if not, he doesn't. Doesn't that mean that he has to have intention to fulfill the mitzvah? It says, Lo! Not necessarily, lishmoah. It means he has to listen. va What do you mean he has to have intent to listen? Either he's listening or not listening. It says, no. What it means is, because, maybe he thinks it sounds like a donkey. In other words, he has to know. He can't think it's a donkey. He has to know he's listening to the Megillah. He has to know he's listening to the Shofar. He doesn't have to have intent necessarily to fulfill the mitzvah. Just he has to know what he's doing in listening to it, meaning he realizes what he's listening to. It, it Another objection to it: <speaking in Hebrew> if the person listening had intent, but not the person who was making the sound, okay, or vice versa, the person who making the sound did, but the person listening didn't. <speaking in Hebrew> you don't fulfill the mitzvah until both the shomea and the mashmiya. In other words, both parties have to um, have intent. In order for the mitzvah to be fulfilled, we understand when it says that the person who intent, who was reading, uh, you know, who, who was creating the sound, either of the shofar or of the uh, of the megillah, the person creating it had to have intent because he had intent to fulfill the mitzvah for everyone else. But the listener didn't have intent, meaning that he uh, thought it was chamor balmau. He thought it was he thought it was a, thought it was, it was just listening to a donkey. Right, But what case do you have where the person who is listening has intention, but the person who is making the sound doesn't have intention? What it must mean is it's talking about someone who is playing the shofar, basically, it was blowing the shofar without any intent for the mitzvah, just for the music. And it's trying to tell you that that's not good enough. In other words, it has to be nitkaven shomeya o They both have to have intention for the mitzvah is what you see from here. Not just intention to do what they're doing, right? But intention actually to fulfill the mitzvah. The Gemara says, no, min nabach Because it could be that the person is just blowing the shofar in a barking kind of way. In a way that Rashi says means he's not doing the shiur tikiya. He's not playing long enough blasts. But if that's true, as Tosafot points out, then he shouldn't fulfill the mitzvah, even if he had intention, because if he's not making the blasts long enough, it's not kasher to begin with. So it says, no, what it means is that he doesn't have intent to, uh, to make the uh, uh, t- such a long blast. He, it happens to come out that way, but he didn't even intend to do a long enough blast. He didn't even intend to do the tekiot correctly. They just happened to, that it came out that way. That's what it means that he... Uh, and and Tosefot says that might be what Rashi actually meant. In other words, it doesn't mean that he actually did a bad blowing of the shofar. It means that he didn't intend to do a good one. It just happened that way. And it's saying it can't be that. It has to be that both the person listening and the person making it intend to do what they're doing. Not necessarily does it mean that they have to intent, have intent to fulfill the mitzvah, just that they have to have intent to do the action correctly. Now, If this is all true... The intention doesn't isn't necessary. So someone who sleeps in the sukkah on the eighth day of Sukkot on Shmini should get makot for adding on to the Torah. Because if a mitzvah counts even with no intention at all, so then if I sleep in the sukkah on Shmini not intending to fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah, I just happen to sleep in there, so I should also get makot for uh, adding on to the Torah. mitzvot over it's only true that mitzvot are, are, don't require kavana to be considered mitzvot at the proper time. But if you're already on the eighth day of Sukkot where there is no mitzvah of Sukkot and there is no, uh, it's Shmini Yatzeret already, it's a new holiday, um, you, you, it's not considered to be a uh, and adding on to the mitzvah to sleep in the Sukkah during that time where she says like a person puts five species in the lulav instead of four or five tzitziot in his talit or whatever it is or five parashiot in his tfilin. he's doing it at the time of the mitzvah and he's adding something but if it's after the time it's already Shemini so so uh, that's not a time where uh, where the mitzvah applies so he's not considered to be adding on to the mitzvah he's just doing something random so then they says ma tib rab shoot baraba minan ko ensha allah du khan de how do you know that a kohen Rav Shem and Barabbas says? How do you know that a kohen that goes up to do brakat kohen? We shouldn't say since the Torah gave me permission to bless the Jewish people, I'm going to add a Kigon, Hashem, Eloi, Osef, like He could say the famous pasuk, Hashem got up your forefathers, Yosef, Aleichem kechem elaf ba'amim May Hashem add to you a thousand fold. Right? He might think he can add on to it. Talmud lomar lo tosif v'ala He shouldn't add. The Torah tells you not to add onto the mitzvah. Don't even add another b'chah. But what what do you see from there? Va-cha, kevan now over there, once he said the first, th- the three psukim of and Ya'ir and Yisa, he already said the bachot, So he finished the mitzvah already. The time is up. and you still see that he can still end up violating the prohibition of adding to the Torah, even though the time of the mitzvah is over. So so too on Shmini if he sleeps in the sukkah, he should he should be and he should end up violating the prohibition of adding to the Torah, even though it's past the time, he could still be considered adding. and it could be talking about where he didn't finish the Birkat Kohanim yet. Since he's in between Psukim of the Birkat Kohanim, he's still in the middle. That's why there's an idea of Baal Tosif. But once he finishes all three Psukim, it wouldn't be Baal Tosif adding to the Torah anymore. The Gemach says, Vatan Yesiim, doesn't it say that he finished? No, ba chachat. that means he finished the first of the Bachot. No, but it says in another Bible that he finished all the brachot and then he came to add something and it's still considered adding even though the mitzvah is over. The answer is that since a birkat koanim is not limited by time, because he could go from synagogue to synagogue, go to another synagogue and do birkat koanim again and another minyan and another minyan and another minyan. So therefore, we say that the, all day is the time for the mitzvah, not just the time that he happens to be doing it. So if he adds on, he's still adding on, so to speak, during the time of the mitzvah, because their time is still the mitzvah still applies during that time. You can go to another synagogue, do another berkat ko'anim. So it says So uminatimran. <speaking> <Hebrew> How do I know that that's the case? That as long as you have the opportunity to do a mitzvah again, even though you finished this one installment of the mitzvah. But you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah again. That's considered adding onto that. That's still considered the time of the mitzvah, and you could still be considered adding to the mitzvah. So the thing is like this: if you have korbanot that got mixed together, and they're two different korbanot, each has only one application to the altar. Okay, since they each have only one application to the altar, they got mixed together like a bchor with another Bechor, or with a Ma'asir, are only one application to the altar. doesn't matter, so you just put, you put all the blood, one application on the altar, and that's good. If you had two Korbanot, such as Ola, and Asham, uh, and Shlami, or toda, that they have four applications to the altar, so what do you do? You put four applications of blood to the altar, because the, even though they got mixed together, it's okay. Right? However, what do we say? If you have four that got mixed with one, so in other words, some of the blood in there is only supposed to be applied once. And some is supposed to be applied four times. According to Rabbi Eliezer, you should go to the extreme. You should, you should give, meaning you should be strict. And you should apply that blood four times for the sake of the blood that's in there that needs to be applied four times. Rabbi Yoshua says, no, only one. If you, if you take that blood that's mixed... Some blood in there was supposed to have four applications to the altar. Some was supposed to have one application and you only do it one. You're diminishing the mitzvah. Rabbi Yoshua's answer is yeah, but you're adding onto the mitzvah because the blood that's only supposed to be applied once to the altar is now being applied four times. The only time bal applies, adding onto to the mitzvah applies, is when the blood is on its own. It's only supposed to be applied once and you apply it four times. But if it's mixed, you're allowed to. I'll say the same thing about diminishing I'll say that the idea of not diminishing Only applies when the blood is separate But when it's mixed together You're allowed to do the lesser of the numbers Of applications And also Rabbi Yoshua said If you do less You put only one application You might have violated You might have violated diminishing the mitzvah But you didn't do an action You, You abstained but when you do more, you do four applications instead of one. And some of the blood was supposed to get four, but you're also applying blood that was only, only supposed to get one application, you're giving it four. You're doing it, you're doing an action with your own hands. Hadar maze mazimne. Right? Hadar mazimne. So, what does he say? He says that what do you see from here? Really, what could you argue? You could argue like this that from the first application, you have blood that's mixed. Some, let's say it's a bakhor with uh, an ola. So, some of the stuff is supposed to be applied four times, some is supposed to be applied one time. Now, you went, what did you do? You applied one time, that first application you did fulfilled the mitzvah of the Bechor already. So when you do the other three times, the mitzvah of the Bechor is already done. So you're doing just for whatever the other thing that's mixed in, the shlamim, the olah, whatever it is that's in there, you're doing it for, that, for the sake of that blood. Because the Bechor's blood's already uh, gone. It's already done. Fulfill the mitzvah when you did the first application. So it should be considered that the time of the mitzvah is over. What do you have to conclude? The time of the mitzvah is not over. Because if another Bechor came, you would also have to apply its blood to the altar. So the mitzvah of is always there, and it's still considered adding on to the mitzvah to do more applications with the blood of the Bechor than it really is warranted. That, so it says, no, Mimai, how do you know that? It could be that according to Rabbi Yoshua, the issue of whether the mitzvah is still in effect doesn't matter. And even though the time passed, in other words, even though that B'chor's time passed, the mitzvah is over, you could still be considered adding on to the mitzvah. And maybe he would say that if you slept in the Sukkah on the eighth day on J'min you would get makot for bal tosif. Maybe he would. So it says, no, no. This is what we meant. Why did Rav Shem Bar Abba abandon our this Mishnah and bring his question from a Baita? He brought his question from the Baita of the Kohen. The Kohen Gadot. I mean, I'm sorry. The Kohen uh, Nadun Kohanim. Right? So why did he bring it from there instead of bringing it from the case of the Korbanot? The answer is because he didn't want to take a, a vague case. Right? Why didn't he bring from this Mishnah in other words, because... Uh, the reason why is because... If another B'chor came to the Beit HaMikdash on that day, right? He would have to offer its blood. So that means the whole day is really the time for a Bukhor, right? In the bright also... We have the same thing because if the kohen ha- finds another community uh, all day long, uh, he has the opportunity until I mean until the time of shacharit passes, he has the opportunity to do Birkat Kohanim. And if it's Shabbat, all day long for musaf, so it's a, so so it's not really a distinction, right? It's, we still have the question: Why did Rav Shain Bar Abba bring the case of the Birkat Kohanim, right, where the mitzvah goes on because he could always go to another shul? The kohen also with the with the a placing of the blood. Uh, on the altar, we could also say that the uh, mitzvah applies all day because, uh, because a b'chor could come in. The difference is because over there, when, if another, uh, b'chor comes in, uh, he has to take care of it. He has to do it. It's out of his control. But in the case of the Kohen, you could argue that over there in the case of the Kohen, he doesn't have to go to another synagogue. He doesn't have any obligation to go and do Berkat kohen in another synagogue. It's not something out of his control. It's in his control. He just doesn't go to another minyan, right? So over there is, uh it's a bigger chidush that it's considered that the, the time of the mitzvah is continuing because he could go to another synagogue and do Berkat kohani. In the case of the Bechor, it's not such a big chidush because... It's out of your control. Anything could come in the door at any time. Any Bechorot could come in the door at any time. So all day long is a time for Bukhurot. But you can't say that by Berkat Kohanim, maybe because Berkat Kohanim is up to you. If you decide to go to another minyan and do Berkat Kohanim again and again and again, that's up to you. But you could say that once you're done with the Berkat Kohanim, you're going to do today, the mitzvah is over. That's why he chose that example. But the gemara says it's not a, an ironclad example because he still has the potential to go to other synagogues if he wants. Uh, Ravah says, now that, so all of this is leading. Up, it was based upon the idea that you can only violate bal tosif if it's within the time of the mitzvah. So therefore, if somebody sleeps in the sukkah on the eighth day on Shmini Atzeret, they do not they do not commit the violation of bal tosif because uh, it, the time of the mitzvah was over. Ava'amar no. Let's say lo kavana la avor by kavana because this whole discussion began. From the problem of kavana, because we said that mitzvot entri kavana, since mitzvot don't require kavana, so that means that if you do, if you add to the mitzvah, you should uh, you should uh, be considered in a state of you know having violated bal tosif, even though you didn't intend to do the the mitzvah, you just want to sleep in the sukka because it was comfortable. You weren't trying to add on to the mitzvah there, so It doesn't matter. <coughs> that was a, that was where the problem began. We said, okay, you're right. Really, any mitzvah that you do, even without intention, is considered a fulfillment of that mitzvah. The reason why if you go and sleep in the Sukhan Shemini Yatzerat, you're not liable is because the time of the mitzvah passed. But otherwise you would be liable. Rabbas is a different answer. No. Even though it's true that fulfilling a mitzvah doesn't require kavana, La'avor kavana. But to violate pal Tosif requires kavana. What about the fact that Rabbi Yoshua... and so therefore Rava will say that the reason why the person who sleeps in the sukkah on the eighth day of Shmini uh, on Zeret Atzeret doesn't get makot for adding onto the torah is not because he uh, is not because it's not the time of the mitzvah. It's because he doesn't intend to do the mitzvah on that day. He's just doing it stump He's just doing it for comfort. He doesn't intend to add to the torah. But if that's true, what about the placement of the blood according to Rabbi Yoshua because over there, even though you don't have intention, in other words, when you're applying the, uh, he doesn't want you to, if you have the, the blood that's mixed from the four and the one, some that are supposed to be four applications, some one application, and he says only put one, what's the problem? You could say that you, you don't have intention for the other three. You only have intention for the other three to count towards the, the korban that needs the other three. But the one that doesn't require the other three, you don't have intention. So you shouldn't be considered to violate Adding to the Torah, if it only applies when you intended to add to the Torah. Right? That's the question. If it's to fulfill the mitzv- of mitzvah, you don't require kavana. And if it's to add on to the Torah at the time of the mitzvah. In other words, when you're, during the time that the mitzvah applies. If you do that mitzvah in a way that adds something to the mitzvah, you are in violation. But she lo bizmano kavana. But when it's not in its proper time, such as the person who goes to sleep in the sukkah Shemini Yatseret, it's not the time of the mitzvah of sukkah anymore, he's liable, he, he's not going to be liable for, for adding to the Torah because he didn't intend to. But if it were the time of the, of the mitzvah and you add on to the mitzvah, even if you don't intend to add on to the mitzvah, because, for example, you're just adding those additional three applications of blood to fulfill the mitzvah of the other korban. You're inadvertently fulfilling the mitzvah. You're adding to the mitzvah of the korban that's only supposed to have one application since it's still the time of that mitzvah. And that's the idea. That when it's in the time of the mitzvah, just like fulfilling of the mitzvah happens automatically with no intent, so too adding onto the mitzvah can happen automatically with no intent. The only time you need intent is when it's not the time of the mitzvah. So your intent would have to create the fact that that was a mitzvah. And since you did not have that intent, you will not be liable for uh adding on to the Tawa in that situation.